Hey everyone, I'm Charlie Shrem, and this episode of Untold Stories is sponsored by Coin Gaming, Permission.io, and Bitrex Global. You'll hear more about them later in this amazing episode. Uh, I'm so I'm so excited to be doing this episode. What's up, everyone? I'm Charlie Shrem, and this is Untold Stories, where twice a week we dive deep with some of crypto's most influential leaders, and now some of non-crypto's most influential leaders, and we'll we'll talk about that today. Uh, so we can find out how this movement actually came to be and how we got here today. Uh, this show is produced in audio and video, so make sure you check us out on YouTube and Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your, your podcast. And the show is proudly powered by the Blockworks Group, my production company. Uh, they have over 20 podcasts in their networks, including mine and my friends. So make sure you check them out at blockworksgroup.io. With that, today's guest is someone who I've probably, I've known him I've known you, Greg, for my whole, almost my whole life, more than half of my life, years-wise, definitely my adult life before I could even drink alcohol legally. But this is probably the only second time we've ever spoke after all those years. Greg Eisenberg, it's good to talk to you again after 13 years or 10 years or whatever it was. How are you? What have you been up to? Good, man. It's like, <laughs> this is like a long lost brothers moment. Yes. That we're finally reunited. So... For those, so everyone who listens to the show knows that I, uh, when I, a part of the research that I do is I'll like go into my email to see if I've spoken to this person or met to this person before. And I'm always being surprised. But what was crazy with Greg was, um, I got into Bitcoin and I was like in college and I was part of one, no one really knew I was part of one industry before. And that was the daily deal industry. And we talk about like crypto. That was like such a different world, the, the, the daily checkout. And when you had emailed me. I wasn't even out of high. I was, it was the summer of me graduating high school. And I was like working in my cousin's warehouse. And I think you came to visit. That was like in Canarsie, Brooklyn. I was like, not even, I was still living in my parents' house. Like it was pre-world. Wow. Well, what I didn't tell you then. So I was, I was maybe a year or two older than you. And I was living in Montreal, Canada. Oh, we got old. We got old real quick. Yeah, we did. And, you know, I had this daily sort of very similar website and I really liked what you guys were doing. And I was kind of like, you know what, I'm going to take... And you were like, hey, if you're ever in New York, like hit me up. So I, I actually went to New York just to meet with you. Oh, wow. Before Bitcoin days. Before that's Bitcoin days. That's crazy. And then I came to that warehouse and it was like, you know, it, it was, was just for me, it was kind of like intense, you know? It was. Uh, I think that that company, that business experience was probably the first uh, real experience in the business world. And that all came from like my cousin telling me, hey, do you want to sell some of these products, you know, on the internet, build a website? I mean, so these were... We're talking about like crypto and building DeFi wallets and talking about what, what you're working on, your growth advisor to TikTok and all these different things. I mean, we're talking about the days when when simply having a website with a checkout was like ahead of the curve. When you and I were first mm -hmm. getting into the into the adult world and look where we are today. It's crazy to think that what you need to now you have companies that come to you and say, hey, we have companies and websites and products. Now we need to build communities and that's what you do and it's like imagine if you came to me like 10 years ago and say hey charlie i'm gonna build a community to you i'd be like the fuck are you talking about what yeah, the hell is a community mm -hmm. 
<laughs> yeah, that I mean, was like, not even an internet yeah, buzzword. Yeah, I mean, I think I think what would happen is like back then it was like the internet was a wild, wild, wild west, and it was super, super primitive. And now it's just evolved. It's evolved. Like we're the internet is just it's evolved, but it, I mean, it's still. I don't know how you feel, but to me, it still feels kind of wild. It's still very new because uh, the basic functions of the internet are still complicated for a lot of people to use. That's why it's still very new. So it's like, uh, I never thought of those years as the wild, this is an interesting perspective. I never thought of those years as the wild west years. I never thought of the early Bitcoin days as the wild west years, but now in hindsight I do. And so say like, wow, like we were living in those times, but it didn't feel like the internet was wild west. It felt like the internet had actually hit mass adoption by that point. It's true. When we were when we were getting started, it almost felt like other when I would talk to other people, they were like, it's too late. Yes. Like it's over. People think that today about crypto and Bitcoin. And I'd like to to hear your because you're uh, you don't work in the space so you probably dabble, I don't know, but I'm curious to see like your perspective. What do you see of like crypto? Do you think it's over? Does it still seem like Wild West times? What it, what does it feel like for you? It feels like crypto to me feels like um, kind of like how we were back in like, like the internet in 2010 or whatever. Um, it does feel a bit behind sort of like the social internet, maybe like where Instagram, where TikTok, et cetera are. But I still think that, you know, it's still mature, still like it's so, you know, maybe it's, it's kind of like a late teenager, I'd say. What do you think of all these companies that are now building communities, but like add their token involved because when you add a token in the community, sure, it incentivizes your community, but there are also negative aspects of it now. How do you feel about that? Do you think, cause you've been building communities before like tokens were, were a thing or even around. Uh, how does that kind of throw a wrench into it? Yeah. So I, I'm, you know, disclaimer, I'm not like a crypto guy. I'm That's a, why we're talking to you. Yeah, exactly. But I think like, you know, one of the things I think about a lot is like, if I were trying to build a crypto company, I would actually build a community company. And I think the mistake that a lot of crypto people have been making in terms of building social apps with tokens is no one wakes up every morning thinking like no one goes up, you know, (laughs) I can't tell you how many hundreds of millions of people wake up every morning you know, the first thing they think about is they grab their phone and then they go into Instagram. They're not mm-hmm. thinking, you know, they go into Instagram everyone. because, you know, everyone, everyone does it. And they, and they do that. Because, I go to Reddit. My wife goes to Instagram. It's what we do. It's what we do. It's what we do. And, you know, when it comes to, you know, crypto plus like these community apps, I don't think like people like wake up every morning and they're like, I want to earn some token doing, you know, doing something. I think the way I think about, you know, crypto and community is a lot like how um, first and foremost is build a community, get product market fit. Don't even think about crypto step one. Just like go, go find a community. Maybe you're building something for um, moms or something. And like just go build something that gets that community super excited that they're going to use every day. And then just like take a week off and then think about like how you can layer on incentive incentivizations. And then if, you know, crypto or tokenization or whatever could, 
could play a role. I see what you're saying. So it's it's a community first, and then it's token second, That's essentially. Right. I was a part because of. I remember I was a part of a community uh, Steam early on in in like 2016 when Steam first came. I think Steam was the first real application of a of a huge amount of people that wanted to be part of a tokenized community, and it worked. And there were a lot of uh, like pluses and minuses. But essentially, when what it, ultimately one of the reasons it failed was. There was an unfair distribution of the tokens, and because some of the largest holders got in first, they they start you know you start to con- take control over the community, et cetera. And anyone can read the history of how you know how that all went down. Uh, but it does provide like positive things. Uh, but I'm curious, I'm curious to know like if you see tokens as almost like forcing that community because there are a lot of other. Uh, like you look at uh, all these other social media, uh, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. Do you, do we look at them as communities anymore? And how do we really like even define the word community nowadays? Right. So I mean, those are a few, so a few questions. Like it's to, all over. I know. Well, what is a community? You know, to me, a community is, you know, the example I use is like um, Airbnb. So think about communities as concentric circles. So the Airbnb community, the innermost concentric circle is founders, you know, Brian Chesky, Joe. Yep. That's like the, that's a strong community. They were there in the beginning. They went through Y Combinator together. They've like ups and downs. Like that's a community around them is like the founding team of Airbnb. Those are like the first 10, 15 employees around them is like maybe the first hundred employees around them. Maybe it's like LGBT, the first, five or 10 LGBT people or the first five or 10 moms who got to know each other around them is alumni around them is, yep. you know, so you just, a community is like, it is, it starts in initially super strong. And then as you go out, like maybe it's just like people who've, you know, hosts who's used Airbnb or super hosts who's used Airbnb or people who've you who've just used Airbnb once. And then the question is like, are the people who've used Airbnb once a community? Not really. Like yeah, just, where's the... Yeah, okay. Right? Well, I can say that they are not part of... Maybe not part of the community, and I don't know what defines part of the community, but they contribute to the community even that first time. But they do it They do it more as like a utility. They're like kind of like, well, me and my wife want to go away for the weekend. There's this really nice place. Okay. Like, you know? And I think like there's a difference between like the founding team of Airbnb or super hosts in Amsterdam on this particular street, you know, who know each other like that, like it, when it's, when it's a part of your identity, like Airbnb is not a part of your identity. If you use it once and for your wife, you know, with your wife for the weekend. So to me, that's, that's what a community is. You're like going to get every, every token project's going to get very angry at you for, for this because they will count a community as anyone in a telegram room. And to be honest, when you see the fervor of some of these people and when they get so financially but emotionally invested in these projects and these toys and, and they become like part of the army, for better or for worse, what do you call that then? Because it's not like community, but it's it's something, you know? It's a well, cult. To, to me, yeah, I mean... To me, to me, there's audience and then there's true community. 
to me, they just have a very loyal audience. Interesting. Interesting way to look at it. But audience doesn't imply loyalty, though. Yeah. So I think to me, there's kind of three steps. There's audience. There's loyal audience. There's community. And then there's true community. Those are like the steps. And that's kind of like the funnel, I guess. These, uh, how have like these communities been, been, have these communities ever been used? Like one thing you don't do is you don't see really like the Reddits or the big social media companies you utilizing or using their communities in like a, a direct way. Like you won't see Twitter. You don't see Jack like, Hey, Twitter community, let's all do this today. Right. You don't really, you don't see that. Right. Uh, it's more of a lighter touch. In crypto communities, you do see that. You see like community leaders. You see you see leaders of people that uh, the community follows. Uh, it's interesting how that kind of all worked out. And I'm almost wondering if we can like define, redefine the word community from, from crypto. Yeah. I mean, I've always, I'm more of like an amateur crypto person, like I said. And like, I've always been, I had always admired from the sidelines, like, to me, like the most successful tokens are just the most successful communities. Like sometimes the technology in, you know, isn't the most interesting. It's just like, it's the most obsessed um, group of people. Um, so I think like, yeah, I, I think like, I have a quite, I mean, that's a question for you. Like, what do you, what do you think, what, what tokens have, or, or, you know, have you seen do a really good job at community and what in the early days made it so special? So I've learned that it's actually a time game. Uh, the longer, the biggest, so for those companies and projects listening, the biggest validation you can have, because crypto is so new, the longer you're around, simply the, the your existence validates you. You know, if you've been around for longer than a year, for example, uh, your existence validates you. That's first. Uh, a lot of communities have gone out and built out these very organic communities. So it's very, it's not an, this is, these are just my thoughts and, and uh, views over the years. Um, it used to be that you go to Telegram and you look at a number. This coin has 10,000 people. But 10,000 people asking what the price is is worse than 500 people who are actually like in there and are quiet but are contributing and they like want to be there because they're keeping tabs on a project they're invested in. So you have to, it's, it's, it's three members of a community can make a lot more noise than 300 people of a community. So uh, it's definitely that. It's got to be more strategic. But you do see like a lot of these like, Metrics and numbers come up all out of nowhere. But the crypto community is interesting because it's been mired by fighting for not fighting, but like difficulty and just the problem is when you have no leader and you have no head, uh, no one really knows what direction to follow. And there's a huge vacuum that's constantly there. Right now, there's a vacuum and it's constantly sucking up people into this like leadership role. And the community is like always looking for those people to like assume that position. But you don't want to be in that position. I learned the hard way. Because when you're also in that position, you're a target for the world governments. So that's that's first. Um, but at the same time, there's a huge amount of like social pressure that you're going to get. And then when people have fi- invest their financial life and their rent in your decisions, uh, there's a huge fear in that. Uh, and so, but but that's like the one thing with crypto that I don't know how you solve that. And the only way to solve that is with time because you're going to see the Craig Wrights of the world constantly come back and try to like take over these com- the, the Bitcoin community or the various crypto communities and, and move it away. And that's, 
uh, the issue when you have no leader, but that's also a very, very good thing at the same time too, you know? If you, if you were starting like a crypto project, does it make sense to start with the community and then build the token or whatever? Or does it make more sense to like start with the technology, build that, and then start layering on community? Now, but talking about sportsbet.io and their clubhouse, which is a huge community, when you play, when you make a bet, when you do a spin, they pay you with free hands, cash back, and bets. You can play all sorts of games, and they've been doing this for so long in a free, fair, and transparent way on the blockchain. Well, that's not why I'm excited today and why I'm talking to you about this. Because now they're taking this community to the next level by sponsoring the Southampton Football Club. You're talking about millions of British football fans can now see the Bitcoin logo on the front and the sleeve of also the Walford Football Club. I mean, how amazing is that? You're talking about not sponsoring your company. You're talking about sponsoring Bitcoin and crypto. Millions of people around the world are now going to be seeing this and joining the Sportsbet.io clubhouse to earn more points, to play games, and to be part of that community. There's really no other way that you can use and spend your crypto and then actually earn more back and be part of this whole community. So listen, make sure you guys join sportsbet.io forward slash podcast. Give them the support that they deserve because they're supporting us and me. Go play some games, get some free hands, get some free spins, and make sure you check them out and support them on the Southampton Football Club's first game. Whenever that's going to be, check it out. It's a crazy world when I tell you that everything we say, do, hear, see, sleep, everything that we uh, interact with the world is being constantly listened to, packaged up, and sold to other people without our permission. But we already know that. Don't you're you're not in your head. We know that. Why are we okay with it? We shouldn't be. We're not getting paid for any of that. Well, my sponsor, Permission.io, actually a very cool company, and you could check them out at Permission.io forward slash Charlie. They figured out a way for you to get a piece of the action because advertisers are going to be targeting you no matter what. And now you can decide which advertisers are able to do so by granting them specific permission and then you get a piece of the action. So you're like basically earning rewards for doing what you already do online, consuming the content and sharing all your favorite information. Now, right at this minute, only these tech giants are profiting from your data. You have all these like uh, Cambridge Analytica and all these like... Uh, crazy files that are coming out with how our data is being used against us to spin elections and fake news and blah, blah, blah. With my sponsor, Permission.io, that is about to change. If anything, check it out. It's so cool what they're doing and how they're doing it. You can get a special sneak peek at Permission.io forward slash Charlie. And thank you guys. Thank you, Permission team, so much for sponsoring and allowing me to do what I love to do and to do this show. If I was building the perfect project uh, token, coin, whatever, that had a token or coin, what I would do first uh, is write the idea down and build and think of what is my first end-to-end proof-of-concept workable product. You know, like someone comes, you have a, a, a utility, something that does what you want it to do from the outset. And then, you know, whether I fund it myself or go raise money or whatever it is from private investors, I do that <clears throat> And then at that point, you start to build a community. Now, a community without a token for a business is hard. If you think about it, why would someone join? Why? 
I mean, you look at Google's community, right? It's not, it's, yeah, you do have like Google fanboys and stuff, but it's not the same as crypto communities. That's what that token does. It like attaches without a security. It's a community coin because that's what tokens have been at the end of the day. They be, I would argue that tokens are not securities and that, yeah, there's like some perceived like that, how we test, you know, there's very black and white, but it's very perceived like, it's not that, that that there's like profits that are like I expect as a token holder, but it's more of like I expect some sort of like moral uh, responsibility from the creator of the token. So if I would like, if you're doing that token, you would have to make it where the token has that not just utility, because you said something very brilliant. You said something about uh, it's not just about the utility, but it's about the community. So you'd have to like almost create a reason for the community to exist. So rather than create a token to work for like a tool, like, hey, create a token for a tool, you create a community and then you make, you incentivize the community with this token and rather, and then the token has some utility within the, the company or product itself. And so therefore it's like almost like a detached thing. That's how I would do it in a perfect world. Yeah, I think, I think that's right. I think like for me, I, I think, there's a set of opportunities that exist in crypto where, you know, I mean, to me, a token, but behind every great token is a powerful idea. Yeah. So if you can come up with a powerful idea that isn't always 100% financial driven, it could be like 80% financial driven, but not 100%, where people look at that token and they're like, I want to be a part of that. I want to be involved. Then you could create a community. You can, pre, you know, create that pre-buzz, um, and then kind of like the cool thing is then you can kind of learn and see like what people want, right? You can like build with that. That's the you that's figure the, it out. Figure it out together. Like that's what I love about communities is like that co-building piece of it. So what what are what are some things that you've done over the years uh, consulting, um, just looking at like your Twitter profile and uh, and all that? What have what do you write about in your newsletter? Yeah, I mean, to me, like, okay, so I spent the last, since we ran into each other in a warehouse in Brooklyn. Um, in 2009. 2009. Uh, I went back to Montreal, started an agency where we, you know, built websites and apps for like TechCrunch and WordPress and Microsoft. Grew that, dropped out of college. Nice. Um, and then and then built and then built took that money and built our own startups so we built the largest and the the idea was all around community so it was all around like pick a vertical and be the biggest in that vertical be the best most interesting be something that you can build that when that community looks at this product let's just say we built something called startcooking.com it was the largest video cooking site on the internet oh cool and when they look at it, when like you look at it you're like you you understand you understand me. This this feels like it's for me. So we built you know largest video cooking set on the internet. We built one of the largest financial education companies uh, in the world, which which ended up getting acquired. Um, so a bunch of different stuff. We also built something called Five by which is a video discovery app around different interests. So the idea was like you open it up, you you know press. Oh man, you've been doing a lot of stuff over the years. Yeah, dude, I've been keeping busy. Been keeping busy. I've been trying to. <laughs> I think I don't know. From from the bits and pieces I've gathered, it seems like you've been keeping busy. I did. I went to jail for two years, but other than that, it was great. 
that's cool. I mean, it's been ups and downs for me too. No jail time, but definitely times where it felt like jail time. Yeah. If you know what I mean. Yeah. So yeah, for sure. Um, ended up uh, selling that business to Stumble Upon, which at the time was one of the largest. Oh web- my God. Yeah. You remember Stumble Upon? Yeah. You're old enough to remember. That's probably where I stumbled upon Bitcoin. Really? That there, Live Journal, or one of these yeah. like obscure, I don't even remember. I, I'm pretty sure it was an IRC chat room, to be honest. Guys were hung out those days. I hung out IRC all the time. Yeah, I loved I loved like that era of the internet because it was Oh like, man, I miss it. It was weird. It was so weird. What was weird was that everyone else thought we were weird. Yeah. So like the simple act of like going on a chat room on the internet was thought to be extremely weird by my parents. Now right. everyone's in chat rooms on the internet, including my parents. Like that's just how it is, you know? Yeah, and and it was just also a lot harder to find your people. So like when you did like yeah. stumble into like this chat room and it was just like hard to get into or some like weird like torrent you know area or some IRC network. It just like because it was harder to get into, it just like felt more redeeming in some way. I grew up in a in in the in the very religious community in Brooklyn, as you know. And in that community, like all the information you have is what the community tells you. And it's like that's what you believe, and that's everyone you know is in that community. When I started working, what no one really foresaw with the internet age was all of a sudden people that meet on the internet want to meet each other. That was never really happening. Think about that basic concept for a second. You meet someone on the internet and you say, I want to meet this person now in real life. That never happened. I think my parents in the community didn't really foresee that happening. So when I started working with you, I mean, my first year out of high school, right? Uh, Working with you and other people, all of a sudden I had these like Jews and non-Jews alike, uh, people that were uh, different skin color than myself, different race. All of a sudden we were meeting. You know, I was 18, 19 years old traveling to places like Chicago and meeting people on, that I met on the internet and I wasn't getting raped, right? So, which was my parents' fear. That's, that's what's their thing. And I think that really uh, changed everything about the world for me because I all of a sudden realized that the world is a lot bigger than Brooklyn, New York. Mm-hmm. The world I is mean, huge. We, we met on the internet. We like, met on the internet and you, you came to New York and, and we met. You. you didn't rape me. You were probably one of the first people that I ever met from the internet in real life. It's crazy. And if I told my parents, hey, this guy's flying from Canada to meet me, my parents would lock me, would lock me in the basement. So it's exactly. kind of crazy how the world, the world that we live in today, I'm just, uh, it's insane. Uh, how did, what, so, uh, but I'm really curious, like, just because uh, uh, TikTok is like the, the conversation of the day, how did that community get so big so fast? Mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like I missed that one. I followed every social network. I didn't miss one. I foresaw in my head the rise of all the, the Instagram, Facebook, WhatsApp, everything. I saw that no one was going to use some of these other ones. I, I, I felt like I was able to like predict, but what I didn't think people would, I spilled my water. I don't care. What I didn't think people would use was TikTok only because I said, how the freak am I supposed to create 30 seconds of content, good content in 30 seconds? And then and I gave up. That's it. So yeah, how did that end up being where it is today? So, it's a, so TikTok is actually an amazing example of like pit, 
pick a burning use case for a community, build a product and like iterate with them. And, you know, it's often forgotten, but the first version of TikTok was Musical.ly. Oh, I forgot that. You're right. And Musical.ly, you know, for those listening, you guys should, you know, the co-founder CEO of, of Musical.ly and co-founder of TikTok, Alex Zhu, he, you know, Google like Alex Zhu, like YouTube, Greylock conference, because he actually does like whole like, how did, you know, how yeah. it got started. And it's, I got to do that. No, dude, it's like the most interesting, like, like I've seen, I mean, I'm sure like you, you've seen like all these founders of Silicon Valley startups talk and it's all like, it's kind of, it's all kind of the same. It's all the same rabble, rabble, rabble. Yeah. This guy is just like, is the, it's super interesting. And he, it's always, you know, I'm going to research guys. that. Sorry. I said, I'm going to research that. I need to check that out. You'll check. Yeah. Check it out. And everyone who's listening, check it out. It's really, really interesting. And basically what he did was he was like you know, social apps trend with like 12 to 18 year old girls. And he was like, people are really into like the voice and all these like lip sync, you know, kind of like yeah, mass singer. Yeah, exactly. I was watching that show. I can't stand it. My wife loves it. So he's like, okay. Masks are really bad napkins, by the way. It's not working. <laughs> yeah, these, exactly. These KN95 masks. I'm not doing it for me here with the water that's about to come all over my feet. You're resourceful. You're doing well. So uh, yeah. basically like people are typing in on, on app stores. They're like, you know, the voice or, you know, lip syncing. And there was no like real good app for it. And he's like, I'm going to start with that. I'm going to create a really good like lip syncing dancing app that allows people to share. And then I'm going to expand into different verticals. And he, but he's like, but I'm only going to focus on this. Wow. So, yeah. He said one, do one thing really, yeah. really, really, really good. It's the cream cheese and the bagel conundrum type of thing. It's like you go to Starbucks, you buy a bagel and they give you one packet of cream cheese. It's not enough. So you not need enough. two. What is, but what? yeah, well, I, I created like a, a whole economic and I'm, I'm begging ec, uh, economic textbooks to put this in the, the Charlie Shrem theory, but it's essentially like. The size of your bagel and the size of your cream cheese matters at the same time. If you think about it for a second, if you if you butter your toast, you know, where did the term being spread too thin come from? It came from buttering toast. So what he did was say, I'm going to maximize this butter on this toast in the perfect possible way. So no one will ever think that this it was spread too thin, but no one will ever think that it's too much or you know what I mean? It's perfect. It's perfect. That's what he did. That's exactly what he did. And he had the foresight to understand like, okay, how do I expand from vertical to vertical from there? Because a lot of people, you know, the mistake a lot of people make with community type products, especially is they're the biggest in this particular community, but they're unable to like expand from there. You know, think about like the OG community, Facebook, Facebook started for college students. Yeah. Like, we all we often forget, and then they went to high school students, and then they went to like employee like network employees of different yeah like they started with with certain types of it made the exclusivity factor of it. That's that's really what it, what it did too. Yeah, it was the exclusivity factor which built a lot of buzz. It's like people people you know I there's a really good saying I, I like um, by the founder of Studio Fifty Four, and he was like Studio Fifty Four is a dictatorship. It's a dis dictatorship at the door, but a democracy on the dance floor. 
Hmm. And I think like that's how you have to think about building communities, right? Is like make it a dictatorship at the door. Not because I love like having people, you know, <laughs> wait in lines when it's super cold out and like that's yeah. a bad feeling. But it's, you know, when people are passing by and they're driving by and they see a big line outside and they, they look up and they're like, what's that? Right. It's just, that's human nature. I see what you're saying. I wonder if anyone could create a cool social experiment where it's like one person for life has the ability to let people in or out only. And then once you're inside the community, it's fully democratic, like direct democracy. You could do everything you want except for decide who gets in or who gets out or something like that. Like you'd have to figure out the rules. Like someone's going to create a coin right now called bouncer coin after this conversation. I mean, I, I'm, that's what I'd love to see. Like, I'm, uh, yeah, I don't know if this is going to get me like flame, no, it's, no. audience, but I would love to see like more interesting consumer social experiences. Power yes. Up. Yes. That's what I, and in fact, I, I proposed one to the founder of Binance and he said that we would do it. Uh, I theorized all this economic theory when I was in prison with, with the mackerel food, with the, with the tin of mackerel, that was the food. And, uh, I could create a whole like actual stable coin, not stable. I create a whole token based off of the community and everything around it. I just don't want to do a coin, but, uh, but yeah, like that, cause that would be cool. Like actually building a coin for the purpose of a community and no utility. Yeah. It would be cool. It would be, it would be cool. cool. And like, I just want to go back to jail though. We're, we're in a Facebook, we're in a Facebook era. And I, I don't, I don't particularly believe that like Facebook is the end all and be all of social networking. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of opportunity um, and not enough entrepreneurs build in stuff. I completely, completely agree. We have to keep building and experimenting and growing um, and doing different things and continuing to like throw shit at the wall to see what sticks because that's what you and I have been doing our whole lives and it's worked so far. So um, I really appreciate you taking the time on on coming on the show today. Like uh, we, we got the show together and how can our listeners follow you? We have a lot of non-crypto listeners too that are interested in hearing more. Uh, you have a newsletter, your Twitter. Yeah, I mean, uh, follow me on Twitter. It's my name, at Greg Eisenberg. Um, check out my Substack for more community stuff. Latecheckout.substack.com, and then and then yeah, hit me. Like I'm I'm really interested in this intersection between community and crypto. So for anyone who's building or thinking about building uh, products in the space, um, hit me up. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a CEO of a company called Late Checkout. Um, we basically acquire internet communities. We build our own internet communities That's so cool and we also um we work with a small group of companies to help build their own their community imagine you telling your mom what you did like 10 years ago hey mom i buy we buy and acquire communities what <laughs> yeah what what did you say <laughs> it's crazy yeah. thanks man i really appreciate you taking the time today and i'll talk to you soon yeah thanks <laughs>